Hey, this is Johnny Damon, your favorite caveman from the 2004 world champion Boston Red Sox. You're listening to Boston's Big Three Podcast presented by Ride the Wave Media. Episode 61 of Boston's Big Three, presented by Ride the Wave Media, sponsored by Pete's Pop. Pete's Pop, located on 151 Benefit Street in Pawtucket, Rhode Island. Pete's Pop has the world's most exotic chips, candy, and soda under one roof. Check out their Instagram at Pete's Pop, that's P-E-T-E-Z-P-O-P, for their wide selection or to place an online order. I know on their Instagram story, they keep saying how they, he's been selling out all those Dunkaroo things left and right. And he's been going all over like the country looking for people to ship it to him. So go to Pete's Pop, uh, online order, or I believe in person now because it's Rhode Island and the whole quarantine. But check him out in Pawtucket, right down the road. And uh, yeah, tell him Ride the Wave sent you. Tell him Boss's Big Three sent you. Tell him Tyler Miller sent you. But yeah, uh, so we have an episode today featuring Kyle Draper of NBC Sports Boston. We had Scal on a couple episodes ago. And we had his, his tag team partner, Kyle Draper, on the show to kind of get both sides of the perspective of the Celtics season, the NBA coming back, his career, the Draper agency. is a good, solid interview, I think about 30 minutes, just kind of about the Kyle Draper story and then NBA basketball. Uh, what we're going to start with today's show is that the NBA is officially back. Celtics basketball will be coming soon. And it's kind of a unique situation, obviously, because nothing like this has ever happened. But to break down the rules real quick. It's not officially back yet. It's not officially back until they're actually on the court and they're actually practicing. As I still I mean, don't are. buy it. I, I, I mean, like when they play an actual game, that they're actually there. I don't buy any of this. I don't, I don't even think it's going to end up lasting. I mean, facilities open. We're on like phase two of everything. I think people at this point, this is my thing. Like we had, we had our episode last week about the rise of protests and everything. But if all these rides and protests happen, everybody leaves quarantine and everything. And the, like nobody's talked about Corona forever. And if the Corona numbers haven't spiked, then why, why are we still inside? Why can't we get basketball? Why can't we get football going? Why can't we get college going? Why can't we just get the world back to going? I don't know what the stats are. I haven't checked anything like that, but it does look like the NBA is back. Uh, basic breakdown of the rules are all going to be played in Disney and Orlando. Uh, 22 teams that are making the trip. Uh, they're going to play an eight regular season game, mini season, trying to get their legs underneath them, figure out playoff seating, and then little rules behind it. If the number nine seed in either conference is within four games of the number eight seed in that same conference, they will be pushed into a play-in tournament. I, I believe that if they're within four games by the end of the year, it's going to be a play uh, by the end of the quote-unquote regular season. Uh, it's going to be eight versus nine to see who gets the eight seed playoff spot. Eight, I think the eight seed needs to win one game and the nine seed needs to win two games to get in. Uh, yeah, that's what it says right here. And then the first game would be played July 31st. Game seven of the NBA Finals, if necessary, will be played October 12th. And then the 2020-2021 the season is expected to start December 1st. Could be pushed back to around Christmas time with training camps opening early November, November 10th for the exact date. But if you're a basketball fan, if you're a Celtics fan, if you're a sports fan itching for anything to come back American sports-wise, uh, big four sports-wise, we are on the right direction. It's going to be kind of interesting, I think, to see 
NFL Sunday, NFL weekends, college football weekends, and then sprinkle some NBA playoffs, sprinkle some NBA season in the weekday, I think that's going to be a good separation. And then the fact that I think it's just going to be permanently starting in December now, the, the NBA season, which is I like to see because nobody really cares about NBA early October, November, until around Christmas time. My question is, I wonder how this will affect like high school sports. Because technically, basketball season isn't going to be till December. And then if normally back then, like you're already about a month plus into the season or something like that. So we kind of see, kind of be cool to see how everything shakes out. But yeah, anyways, NBA is back. What are your guys' thoughts? I think the number one problem with this plan in general, it's a good plan. I think it's a pretty good plan. But at the end of the day, the fact that there's going to be such a small amount of time between the end of the season, and the beginning of the next season, that's a problem for these players. Like these players need their rest. Granted, they've had about two months of it because of coronavirus. But at the same time, training have, camp. Yeah, four. Exactly. Yeah, four and then so that's like an off season right there. So I kind of like right. how they're doing a quick turn. Right. I think it's going to be an easier transition for the veterans, but the rookies coming in are going to have a very accelerated time gap to uh, try to get acclimated to NBA life, which is not an easy transition for a lot of these college guys. I mean, college is about two or three great guys in each team, unless you're one of the power guys. And then you go into the NBA where everything's faster. Everyone's good. Everyone can shoot. Everybody can do everything. So it's going to be a definitely a, a hard transition for these younger guys with a very short time span to transition. I still don't understand how it's all going to be able to happen with the testing, the numerous testing they're going to have to do, the numerous quarantines of the teams, how they're going to do the practices in the facility in Orlando. I just feel like it's going to take one or two people to get COVID and then it just shuts everything down. I think having these extra teams with the extra games, I just, I don't, I don't buy into this yet. I just don't buy into it until I see it with my own eyes. And I understand they're making the plans. They have to do that. They have to get set up. They have to give some optimism out there for the fans that love the NBA. But if I'm a player right now, I'm kind of still thinking, is it even worth it to play? Like, is it even going to be worth my time? Because now, as Tyler said, things are opening back up. I kind of want to enjoy my summer. I don't want to, even though it's you're down in Disney, it's like, I don't want to be stuck down there quarantined for July, August, September. Like, that's kind of, I don't know if their families are allowed to even come with them. No. I, I, it, no. Just play. So, it's going to be and, like a college and, campus and the fact that you're all and, friends and, and yeah, yeah, the but, same campus and then go so to play So here's another thing too that I heard that Jim Murray, like I was listening to this on 98.5, they were talking about how the little things like where the team's going to stay. Is each team going to stay at a different resort? And they said, you know, like an example, like LeBron James hasn't stayed at like a residence inn for probably the last 25 years. Like he's used to high-end, high-class hotels. And some of these teams and some of these players are not going to be able to have that. And even to the point where they're saying uh, – points of you were gonna have no maids like you have to clean up after yourself you have to do all your cooking alone and everything like in your own room like you said it's kind of like that college dorm like type of but some of these players I, I'm just waiting for that one or two player major player like a James Harden I feel like some, it's gonna be someone like him that just comes out and says you know what I'd rather just wait this out until the actual NBA season starts and we can actually get this going I don't I don't want to do this I don't want to be quarantined for the rest of my summer especially when everything's opened up because what if they do this and then the fall or winter time comes and everything gets shut back down? I mean, you missed that opportunity. You see that with Dame Lillard said the same thing. He's like, I'm going to be there. Probably not going to play. Kyrie, KD, or immediately like, dude, we're not coming back. Also out of the playoffs back. though. So it's a little bit different, different dynamic because they're already, yeah, there's no point in playing those. That's an eight game. I think you said earlier uh, season. There's really no point in playing it. And Babs, you're a hundred percent right. James Harden would come out because James Harden is one of the biggest bitches in the NBA. Like obviously Unbelievable player, top five player, no doubt in my mind, back-to-back MVP, but dude's a bitch. Personality-wise, yeah, bitch. 
but he holds significant significance in his name. Like yeah, it's just if he, if he comes out and he's one of the bigger names out there uh, in the yeah. NBA, I'm sure some people would follow suit and then maybe second guess themselves in doing it. But I also do understand at the same time where the players got together and said, we need to play because of the cap for next year and we won't get right. fully paid for our money. So it is back and forth there. And I just, I, I think it's a 50, 50 shot that it happens. I'm not, I'm not going to go fully into the NBA and I'm not going to fully believe it until they're all down in Orlando. They've done a couple tests, like rounds of COVID and everything looks good. And then they play that first or second game. And it's like, okay, now they do have this handled because it's, this is a lot to bank on. It's a lot to try to put this together to set it up and make sure it goes right. And what's the NBA going to do when one person tests COVID like test positive, like they're just going to ship them away. Well, even island? with that, you've seen in the UFC, um, one of the fighters, I forget his name, he tested positive for Corona. And that was during when Corona was the biggest thing. And it still is obviously prominent. In, like, But when Corona was hot, hot, hot in the streets and UFC was back, that guy had Corona. They just chipped him off the island. But UFC – If that happens – Yeah, UFC is obviously way smaller, way more well, like, and, solo and, and we talked everything. about this a couple episodes ago about how UFC is – is going to creep into saying that instead of the top four, it's the top five sports in America. And yeah, I have, a t- I have something but, to say about that after. <laughs> but UFC is, is still like on down where they can escape with things of doing things like that. They're, look at WWE, for example. They've been doing everything in the performance center down there during the height of COVID of themselves too. And they've just kind of been doing it down Florida. Go ahead. Talk about UFC. Wasn't really UFC, but Max Kellerman said the exact same thing that I said. So I'm going to assume he listened to this show, stole my take, brought it to first take, and uh, is taking all the credit. He was saying that nobody cares about hockey, nobody follows hockey, nobody watches hockey. It's not going to be the one of the big four sports. And I agree with Max Kellerman for maybe the first time ever. Uh, yeah, we talked about that last week. I'm not going to go yeah, into but like, about awesome. it. Do you really think that hockey's lower than baseball right now, popularity-wise? Uh, probably not right now, but that's two sports that I think UFC is having way more excitement, way more – brand building way more right. just content coming out that's more engaging for their target demographic look the people who i think this is the biggest issue with like baseball their target demographic was like they were alive when they were still printing out like the newspapers about like that's the only way you can find your news that's the people i think they're trying to cater to right now stupid because <laughs> these people are like aren't going to be here 20 30 40 years from now it's all going to be these kids if you miss an entire season of baseball and you see the MLB and the MLB, uh, MLBPA just fighting over money at the end of the day and just that type of stuff, I don't think baseball survives. Uh, like, obviously, the baseball's going to be back, but I don't think the popularity of baseball, especially already on the decline, survives. And MLB's no, I- going to do the exact same thing about trying to keep their content to their name, try to make sure nobody posts them. They want all the rights to it. They're just, right. MLB is just. And we talked about this last times. week too, where like they were just kind of having a discrepancy with the players and seeing whether they're going to be a longer game season with shortened salaries or vice versa. And the difference between baseball and hockey, I think in that respect is hockey, first of all, had their shit together way before baseball did. They had their, they had everything settled out in months in advance almost. And then another thing, playoff hockey is probably the best sport to watch live. I have no problem saying that playoff hockey is a different breed of sport for I think anybody, anybody who recognizes sports in general knows that playoff hockey is a different environment. Baseball doesn't have that. And, I, and we talked about this kind of last week too. If baseball can take this time, maybe even cancel the season and adjust stuff like, Hey, maybe we do need a pitch clock. Maybe we need to limit these guys stepping out of the batter's box every five seconds and increase the pace of the game. Maybe that will attract some younger viewership. I don't know. Like I, at the end of the day, I think what what gets more hype just on a random day, a UFC card 
a baseball game or a hockey game? The obvious answer is the UFC card because it's only like what once a week, once every other week and baseball hockey or every single day. So it's more of an event, but in terms of action, in terms of people talking about like, I, I think I've said throughout this entire show, like we're on episode 61. I probably mentioned episodes one to 60. How social media is the biggest driving factor in sports right now. That's what's going to grow your brand. That's what's going to grow your, your team's brand. You saw the XFL, their whole, their whole thing was let's dominate social media. Let's make memes. Let's, let's just make us relatable to our audience. You don't see that in the NHL. You don't see that in uh, MLB. You can kind of see it in the UFC and the fact that they let their fighters to say whatever they want to whoever they want and even tag Dana White and like go out of there. I think the, the transparency, the, the you can see behind the scenes of everything, I think that's what helps UFC grow to be like we were talking about, just like a real-life WWE in a sense that there's going to be right. storylines, there's going to be drama, there's going to be action, there's going to be excitement. Speaking of which, uh, Babs, I want your opinion on this too. So Deshaun Jackson came out a couple days ago after he shit over Chip Kelly, which was really funny too. He was talking about how he, the NFL is exploring putting mics on every single player on the field and just essentially turning it all up instead of having crowd noise, just have them chirping on each other back and forth. Um, what are your thoughts on that kind of scenario, kind of taking apart from UFC where they have unfiltered access to these players and kind of putting it on the field? helps and hurts because there's things that are said on that field that should stay on that field. Yeah. There's a lot of, lot of things. Uh, someone told me, you know, the Mike Perkins from the Jacksonville Jaguars, that Tom Brady's one of the biggest shit talkers out there and you never know. Like, he always seems like he has himself, like, you know, based on the media and he's like, you know, just speaks normally. But that guy's shit talking on the field. And I feel, I, I mean, he's got swagger that maybe people want to see that. But, dude, you might be something out of anger and you might say something, like, wrong. Like, you know, like, yo, I'm going to fuck your bitch tonight and kill you. Like, and you're just kind of doing that. To get someone's, yeah. Like you're trying to, <laughs> but you're trying to do that to get in someone's head. And, and I feel like it could hurt a player. It could also help a player and get more fan support for somebody. So it, it's a give and take Not, and having everybody mic'd up too. It could reveal plays. It yeah. Could, that's what I was going to say. Yeah. It could. You uh, think, you think like Bill Belichick, like NFL coaches are paranoid about their plays being stolen. They're paranoid about their calls being stolen. They're paranoid about everything. Cause they want to keep everything tight knit. Do you think these type of like coaches are going to let their players willingly get mic'd up? Like it's a good idea. I see, I see why they want to do it. I don't see it happening. Honestly, like, though, but think about it. Like, they've had Belichick mic'd up before on the sideline. They've McDaniels. Like, they've talked about it. They're smart about it. Patricia came over one time on sound effects and was hugging Belichick saying, don't say anything, I have my mic on. Like, they're conscious of what to say, when to say it. And I think it's very easy to condition these players. In the, I know the heat of the moment might take over, especially on the field when something bad happens. But if Belichick's running a team anywhere like he has the past 20 years, I'm sure you can condition players to make sure they avoid those kind of errors i'll go well, on if your it's side. Li- but if it's live mics hot mics the sound effects and everything they can they have final say in the edits or something like that i'm sure that they have some say in the edits what gets put in well, I, if it's, I, you have I, a hot live I, mic you have no idea well it's not really live i'm sure there's like a five ten second delay that they can put on tv right. and that they can filter things out i will say this in kind of Stafford's point right there, it's actually might be good to mic up every single person because say the Mason Rudolph uh, situation yeah, with Miles Garrett. And it's like, then you had claims that Mason Rudolph said, you know, a bad word to Miles Garrett and none of them are mic'd up or anything like that. So he everyone now, said. everyone, everyone now knows like, Hey, you're mic'd. Like if you say something bad, like it's going to, it's going to come out. It kind of has the responsibility for everybody out there and also helps them maintain being professional on the field and off the field too. It's like, Hey, you're always going to be, recorded you're you know you're always you're always getting recorded you're always getting looked at like you always need to remain professional i agree all right uh let's hop into this kyle draper interview we're going to be talking more about football on the other side before we get too deep into it 
thank you, Kyle Draper, for hopping on the show. Um, you can check out all his work. You, you know who he is. Like, he, he's a big deal around the Celtics area, the uh, Boston area, Celtic sports. Thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, like we said, he, he talked about the NBA season coming back, the Celtics coming back, the Draper Agency, and what, what he and Scal are doing in terms of their podcast work. Uh, perhaps one of the most shocking things, but I see his point. He argued that the Indiana Pacers could be one of the toughest teams to beat out of the East. Um, you're going to have to hear more about that. And we'll catch you guys on the other side. So without further ado, he is, here is Kyle Draper of CNBC Boss or NBC Boss, one of the two. All right, Boston Big Three is happy to have on uh, Kyle Draper of CNBC Boston. He's uh, Brian Scalabrini's tag team partner. We had him on a couple episodes ago, as you, the listeners at home, have seen. We've got both sides now. Uh, he's here to talk about the NBA coming back, Celtic season, and first and foremost, to talk about his Draper agency. Uh, Pat, if you want to kind of lead this off. Yeah, so Kyle, obviously you have you know the Draper agency, which is made to you know further and foster the careers of aspiring journalists and writers um i was just wondering like what made you want to help other people and how your experiences um i saw that you've been around a little bit i think in like washington and wisconsin how that helped you kind of you know provide insight into the careers of these other young um writers and personalities who want to kind of get where you are today well i started the agency because i do enjoy helping people and i can't tell you guys how many times how we get calls or emails. Hey, Kyle, can you help me with this? Or Kyle, can you take a look at that? And, you know, I remember coming up in the business, you know, I had mentors also. And so, you know, I, I love the business so much that I thought, you know, this is a great way to give back. Also, you know, it's a great business opportunity. You know, I'm always uh, trying to be versatile and look ahead. And who knows, you know, maybe I'm not, you know, Celtics pre and post game host, you know, for 20 years, you know, maybe it's another five, who knows? And so I wanted to come up with a plan B, sort of a fallback plan. And I thought, you know what, this is something I know a whole lot about. I enjoy helping others. Why not start the Draper Agency? And so we're in year five, growing slowly. And it's been great, man. You know, there's no better feeling than uh, helping uh, someone get the job of their dreams. Uh, I had one client uh, just two weeks ago, started a sports job in Orlando. So I was uh, super excited about that. So yeah, it's, it's growing slowly, but uh, it, it's, you know, like I said, it's a fallback option, a plan B, you know, if and when uh, I need to call upon it. You mentioned your mentors during that process. Is there any mentors that helped you along the way with this um, particular project or the people you reached out to? I'm sure you have to make connections to even build this whole right. uh, empire. Do you have connections and mentors along the way that stick out more than others and really just helped you kind of get to the point you are at in your career? Well, you know, in this business, you know, I like to say, you know, it's not a six degrees of separation. It's probably like a three degrees of separation. You know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a big business, but really it's sort of like Boston, right? It's a big city, but, or a small town, you know, or however you want to say a small city, big town or whatever. I feel like everybody knows everybody and everybody's connected. And I feel like those experiences, you know, having worked in Wisconsin and Washington state and Kentucky, you know, helped me sort of, you know, get to know people around the country. You know, one of my biggest mentors uh, coming up through this was a guy by the name of Kevin Frazier. Uh, I think he's on entertainment tonight. Now he uh, used to anchor on Fox sports on ESPN did sports center you know, a big time, uh, you know, sports guy. Now he's a big time entertainment guy. And so he was one of the guys, you know, I had some guys on a local level as well, 
who uh, sort of took me under their wing. And, you know, I still keep in contact with a lot of these guys. And, you know, that's the key to our business, to be honest with you guys. I mean, you know, a, a lot of us can be, you know, great broadcasters, but it's who you know also. Mm-hmm. I mean, because, you know, when these jobs are posted, you know, if you wait until, you know, it's posted on Indeed or whatever job site you like to look at, you know, it, it's too late by then. A lot of stuff is word of mouth or knowing somebody at a station or an outlet and, uh, you know, having some sort of in. And so, you know, those guys help me uh, come up and get to this point where I'm at now. Uh, is there anywhere people can find like more information about this? Um, obviously you could talk about it being the one who started it, but if someone wants to read more <laughs> about it or anything like that, if you want to plug that. Yeah. Yeah. Just go to the Draper agency.com, the Draper agency.com, or you can hit me up on email, Kyle at the Draper agency.com. And, you know, like I said, it's a small business. It's a small, you know, thing that I'm trying to grow. And, you know, the thing I like most about it and where I feel like, you know, I set myself apart from other people, you know, you get that one-on-one service, you know, I'm the only employee, you're only going to deal with me. I like to tell people, you know, I'm not Target or Walmart. I'm like the local mom and pop, you know, grocery store, convenience store right down the street where when you walk in, I'm going to know your name. And so, uh, and I like it like that because I've had a number of agents, you know, who have had a hundred, 200 clients. And then you just feel like a number and you don't feel like you're a priority. And so one of the things I wanted to do with my agency is make sure people, you know, we're able to get a contact with me, you know, most of the time, if you hit me up, I'm gonna call you back that day and you deal directly with me. So I'll make you a priority. Yeah, it's awesome stuff. Uh, I know that all three of us are looking to do something in the media industry, something like that. Uh, It's uh, very beneficial. And thank you for kind of stepping up. Uh, Today's June 4th, the NBA uh, officially announced it is coming back. Celtics basketball will be back uh, late June, uh, July, early August, and we're going to continue, hopefully, all the way until the end of the season. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts, I guess, on the new the new format that came out? Um, like, if everyone's going to Orlando, no matter what, it's going to be a little different uh, yeah. in terms of your job as well. Are you traveling down to call games, or is that just going to be the ESPNs of the world, like the bigger um, well, broadcast calling games? No, I mean, we'll broadcast Celtics games, you know, when they come back, especially regular season and first round playoff games. But, you know, I I would think we would do it back in our Needham studios. You know, Mm -hmm. you'll see me and Scal back there. You know, the NBA is trying to limit the number of people down there in Orlando, which I totally understand. And so I had read that they're not even allowing family down there. And so the playoffs, uh, you know, so the eight regular season games that the guys are going to be playing you know, they don't want their families down there. And I understand that. And so I'm happy basketball is coming back, guys. Yeah. You know, it's like, I don't care whether <laughs> it's uh, Orlando, you know, outside somewhere around the corner. I don't care. <laughs> it will be different, though, right? No fans, you know. Guys have, mm-hmm. will have had off three and a half, four months from real competition. And so uh, I'm actually glad that they give them eight regular season games to sort of get back up to speed before you get into the postseason. Hmm. Yeah, that was the biggest thing that I was uh, talking about, uh, just with like friends, family, and even you hear NBA players. You can't you can't take two three months off and then jump right into the playoffs. So I'm glad they did stick with stick with the regular season. Let the let the Kings get out yep, now, yep. and then eventually uh, you can kind of just work your way into the to the playoffs. Um, basically, right away, do you think like what is the biggest I guess obstacle in front of the Celtics team? Uh, despite the obvious, you just took a couple months off because everybody's dealing with right. that. Uh, like in terms of the Celtics' unique team, what do you think is their biggest obstacle they have to cross right now? 
No, I think, you know, obviously, I, I think the East is a lot better than people are giving it credit for. You know, think about it. Obviously, Milwaukee's good. Toronto's good. Miami, Philadelphia. Don't sleep on Indiana. Victor Oladipo, mm -hmm. you know, an extra two to three months to, you know, get, you know, better after coming off the injury. And so I just think, you know, it's going to be a tough road in the East. And then you also, you know, one of the things I've always been concerned about this Celtics team is their depth. You know, after you get past player number seven, maybe number eight, you're relying on a lot of young players. I'm talking about the Grant Williams, you know, Romeo, Carson, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Brad Stevens go with the guy like Shimmy Ojale, you know, in the playoffs uh, a, a lot more minutes just because you need some veteran experience out there. But, you know, I do worry about their depth. I would have uh, liked Danny Ainge to make some sort of move you know, whether by, you know, free agency, buyout market, whatever it may be. So I'm concerned about that. And I also believe, guys, this is my theory about playing with no fans around. So maybe this will help the Celtics. I don't know. I feel like role players will probably play better mm -hmm. with no fans around. You know, the pressure, it'll, it'll be like a glorified pickup game almost, you know. And yeah. they're used to playing, you know, against each other, you know, with no fans, uh, you know, during workouts and everything like that. So maybe that actually might help the Celtics out. Maybe some of their role players become better in a format like, like this. I even agree with that because you see, um, like you said, a team's bench is so important. Uh, you see role players playing better at home when their right. uh, home fans are right there and then maybe not as well away. But if there's no fans, that kind of evens it out. Exactly. And I, I think it's going to be a lot closer, like you said, in the East. Uh, maybe you don't have the superstar talents, the, the big names, but you have a lot of similar built teams, a lot of uh, similar built play styles. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm glad that we agree on that part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I look at the East, outside of maybe Indiana, none of those teams getting to the finals would really surprise me. You know, I'm talking mm -hmm. top five teams, you know. Philly, as much of a dumpster fire as they were, you know, before <laughs> the season got suspended. I mean, they've had, this is sort of like a reset, right? A reboot for them. Ben Simmons, you know, uh, extra few months to get, you know, the back in order and come back strong. So don't sleep on Philly here in the playoffs either. Hmm. So, hi, Kyle. This is Jordan Haddock here. Thanks for coming up, on. Yeah. Um, so you touched on it in your previous answers a couple minutes ago, but the impact of, of the lack of fans or, you know, no fans is probably one of the most prominent impacts that we're going to see with this new playoff, you know, format. Um, and you said, you know, that, you know, certain role players may get, you know, significant advantage from that just because of how, you know, you know, NBA, NBA games are played out. But do you think that there's going to be a pretty big adjustment to it? I mean, just like the, you know, just like the atmosphere, I guess, the aspect of it, you know, you yeah. feed off of energy in the fourth quarter, right. that, that's going to be missing. And that's what I look at it as like in yeah, the yeah. final minutes, you know, who's going to, you know, taking that last shot. It's like you feed off of that, you know, energy from the fans and it's, it's just going to be completely absent. Yeah, you're right, Jordan. You know, we uh, on our Celtics Talk podcast this week, we talked to former NBA player Keon Dooling. He uh, spent a year with the Celtics, and that's one of the questions we asked him. And he said, no doubt players feed off the fans, you know. Mm. I mean, LeBron and all the, all the superstars, they're still going to be great, you know. Mm. But, you know, when you get down to the last two minutes, let's say, of a game, and think about it, if you're a road team and you're playing at the Garden – last two minutes, need a big bucket, that crowd is going wild, that affects you, affects yep. you, you know? And now you won't have that. And so mm -hmm. there's really no home court advantage to be gained. And so you're right, man. I, I think that's going to have a huge impact. And so it may open up 
for some of these teams that we're not thinking about, you know, to make a good run. I mean, you know, if, if you look at a team, let's say Utah, for instance, very good team, Denver, a good team. I mean, everybody's talking about Lakers, Clippers, but, you know, you, you take out the crowd, everything is just basketball. You know, those teams are deep, they're, they're well coached, they're good teams. So we may see some surprises in the playoffs. Mm. So going off of that, how do you think, like, you know, obviously this is a very extended break. It's almost the length of a regular offseason for some of these guys, you know, who go into those deep playoff runs. Um, how do you think not only this will affect some players, like, you know, Jason Tatum, um, I know Giannis and Tedekumpo said they don't even have hoops at their house because, right. you know, they usually go to the facilities and, and whatnot. You know, how do you think that'll affect them? And even, you know, furthermore, you guys in the broadcasting booth, do you think this could kind of segue into like remote broadcasting kind of being a bigger thing instead of like, you know, being live at all the events and whatnot for next yeah, year. Yeah, I'll take that last one first. I hope it doesn't turn into remote <laughs> broadcasting, you know, because I love being at the games, fellas, mm -hmm. you know, but yeah. I can see that happening, especially, you know, in this new world we live in with coronavirus. It may be a while before, you know, people are actually allowed to travel to the games and, you know, uh, I know people are hesitant to fly a little bit now. So we got to see how this plays out. Uh, you know, regarding, you know, guys working out, you know, here's the thing. Tatum said he didn't have a hoop. Well, he went down to Orlando and he's been working out down there. You know, there's, that state is a little more relaxed in some of their restrictions. And so that's what a lot of guys have done. You know, I talked to Shimmy Ojale the other day. He's like one of the few guys that actually stayed in Boston, you know, and I asked him, dude, how are you getting at work, you know? So he's doing a lot of home stuff. But now that the gym is back open, you know, the hour back center, guys will start trickling back in. Marcus Smart is back in town. And so, mm -hmm. you know, it's not like these guys haven't shot the ball in two or three months. I know it sounded like that when mm -hmm. Tatum said he didn't have a hoop. But, you know, a lot of these guys went elsewhere, you know, and started uh, practicing in those states that were a little more relaxed. Mm. Sure. Um, so I want to kind of go back to your um, – your career, we kind of talked about it uh, at the beginning of the of the uh, podcast. But what is your, um, you know, your long term career goals? You mentioned that you know you started the agency just as a side, you know, thing to just yep. in case you know your broadcasting, you know, took a turn or something like that. Um, and you kind of mentioned that you know maybe in five to ten years, you know, who knows what's going to happen? Right. You know, where do you see yourself in ten years? If, I mean, if you're still with the Celtics, do you feel that you want to take the agency to the next level? Um, you know, just talk about that generally. Um. I would probably say, you know, the one guy I look up to is a guy like Ernie Johnson for TNT. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, he's, uh, you know, a, a guy that does it all. You know, he's, uh, you know, does golf, does, you know, he does everything. And it looks like he's having a blast with Chuck and, all, you know, Shaq and Kenny and all those <laughs> mm -hmm. guys. So yeah. that would probably be my dream job, hosting the national show yeah. like that. You know, I've delved into some play-by-play -play a little bit uh, when Mike Gorman hasn't been at the games. And so... You know, I tell you what, that's like the hardest thing I've ever done is play by play. Gorman <laughs> makes it look so easy. And all these guys that do it on a regular, they make it look so easy. And so who knows? Maybe that's the next step. Uh, you know, like I said before, I think, you know, one of the biggest things in our business is versatility. And I think, you know, that's that's one of the things I can do, you know, whether it's play by play, hosting, sideline reporting. And so uh but I'm enjoying this ride, man. You know, I'm, I'm looking at the Celtics, like, you know, with Tatum and JB, yeah. Kemba. I mean, we got a nice little core for the next four to five years, hopefully, where, you know, we, we can hopefully string together a couple of titles. And so I plan on being here, you know, for that ride. Mm. Uh, going back to the beginning of, like, your Celtics tenure, I believe that was 2009. 
correct yeah. me if I'm wrong, but yeah. uh, if you want to kind of walk us through how you got there, uh, like how you just said, uh, how sideline reporting is almost impossible. Is there any Mike Gorman, Tommy Heinsohn quotes they gave you, advice they gave you along the way when you do do it with Scal when neither of you were there? Uh, when Scal was on, he said, it was just be yourself. Don't be Mike and Tommy. Right. Be Kyle and Scal. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah, it's, it's funny because Mike will tell this story you know, one of the, the early times when he worked with Tommy Heinsohn, and, and I could totally see this. So Mike is a guy that prepares, you know, he, he comes into his shows and into the games uh, extremely prepared. And early on in his career, he had this long sheet of notes, stats about every player. And Tommy Heinsohn, you know, one of the first games told him, throw away all your stats and notes. Because when the game starts, we're actually just talking about what we see in front of us. And, and that reminds me of my first game I called. Uh, it was Celtics versus Pacers a few years ago. And, you know, I spent – I locked myself in a hotel room, and I wrote down every stat for every player. You know, I had back <laughs> stories. Or anything. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, I was well prepared, man. I was ready to go. But then the game starts, and it's like maybe you use one or two stats or something mm -hmm. like that. And so – you know, I'm still trying to, you know, figure out the balance between having, you know, too many stats and notes and not having enough. And so that was one thing Mike Gorman told me. He said, Kyle, you know, when the game starts, man, you know, just call what you see in front of you. Don't worry about, you know, uh, the eighth man and, you know, his free throws percentage from 10 years ago and all that. You know, I'm yeah. telling you guys, I was writing down some crazy stuff. You know, <laughs> his high school guys went to high schools. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. And so, uh, that's one of the things uh, they told me. And I got to tell you this quick story, too, because, you know, my second job was in Yakima, Washington. I did sports out there. And one of the big events I got to cover was uh, the Rose Bowl out in Pasadena, California. Washington State was in it. And uh, this is a huge event, obviously. I'm excited. I'm, a, I'm doing a live shot uh, at the Rose Bowl right on the field after the game. And so as I'm talking, you know, I, I memorized everything. I wrote everything down and, you know, I memorized. I was flowing. I was in my zone. But then I got to like the last sentence and I forgot the last two or three words of my sentence. So I'm live, my biggest live shot of my entire career. And I'm sitting there. So the Huskies lose to Oklahoma 43 to 28. And coming up next, and I just blanked. I forgot <laughs> no. what I was going to say. And then I go, well, you guys know what, what I mean. You know what's coming up next. And so from that point on, I decided, Kyle, don't memorize stuff. You know, don't memorize scripts. Don't memorize information. Maybe pick, you know, two or three stats that you, you have in your mind. But really, it's about having a conversation with people. And so from that point on, you know, I never write anything down. It's all, you know, mostly just off the top of my head. It's like we're having a conversation. Uh, was sports broadcasting always your, I guess, career passion, your career choice? Uh, I, for me personally, like it took me until I got to college to really realize like what I wanted to do. I came into college as an engineering major and shut up. Yeah. Not, not <laughs> so, did I. so did I. I was yeah. an engineering major. Let me hear I, your story, uh, Tyler. Let me hear. I, I took, I took one semester and let's just say, uh, I could have done better and I just didn't <laughs> like it. I didn't like any of it. And then I, my passion was just talking sports, with my friends playing basketball growing up, just anything like that. And I thought Dude. like, if I could just put all the chips on the table, I could make the most out of this and I could do something. Um, yeah, it th sounds like you have a similar story. And then when, when was your, I guess, transition period? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I went to college. I started out at Temple University. I was a civil engineering major. And, you know, in high school, I, I got it all A's, you know, but then I got to college and stuff got difficult. You actually had to study and work at it. And so 
I remember my first semester GPA was a 1.38. And so, you know, I was struggling, but you know, I was, and then I turned it around and started getting by, you know, I was a C student pretty much. Then my junior year, I ran into this class called differential equations. I'm, I, I still have nightmares about this class because <laughs> it, it kicked my butt, man. I dropped it twice. I failed it once. And it was at that point where I said, Kyle, you got to come up with something different. This engineering stuff isn't working for you. And at the time, my roommate was a sports broadcasting major. And I'm like, I like sports. Uh, you know, I like watching it. I like talking about sports. Let me give this a shot. And it's crazy, man, because, you know, I went from, you know, a barely a C student to once I switched majors to broadcasting, I started making a dean's list and it, it just fell into place. And so I sort of, you know, this was my junior year in college. It sort of had that, you know, uh, you know, change in life moment. And yeah. I, I, my, uh, I still remember because I went into engineering because my mother wanted me to go into engineering, you know. So kids out there, just because your parents want <laughs> yeah, you to yeah. do something, <laughs> you got to follow your dreams of your heart. And so, uh, yeah, that's how I got started in a bit. Yeah, I think that's kind of crazy because like what you said, you went to Temple. Um, I go to school right down the road, Penn State. And okay. I'm about to be a senior, but also in this junior year, that was the whole, I don't need to do anything that I guess like I thought I wanted to do when I was going to college. Right. Uh, once I got there, I was more like, why not make the most out of it? Kind of like you were saying, yeah. but um, how did you get to Boston from there? Uh, was that just out of the blue and it eventually became your home for 10 plus years now? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then just your experience in Boston so far as I guess your new home. Well, it's funny because Boston was never on my radar. You know, I'm a, a Philadelphia guy. We grew up hating Boston. Yeah, sure. You know, whether it was uh, New England clam chowder, Larry Bird, or Boston baked beans, we hated it all, you know? <laughs> and uh, so I went to, uh, my first job was in La Crosse, Wisconsin, which was, you know, I ultimately transferred schools and went to a small school, Winona State University. So La Crosse, Wisconsin was like a half hour away from that. Uh, so I, after I graduated, I, I went from part-time to full-time there. Then I moved to Yakima, Washington, and I'm talking about some small towns, guys. I mean, you know, here we are in Boston with, you know, a million people or whatever. These were small towns. And then, uh, you know, after spending time in Yakima, I went to Louisville, Kentucky. And I was telling somebody yesterday, Louisville, Kentucky is like a small Boston in terms of the passion of the fans, you know, but their passion is University of Louisville, University of Kentucky, Indiana, you know, that's their passion, college sports. And so... You know, and, and at the time I was in Louisville, I still never thought about Boston. And then, uh, you know, I had an agent in the business and he said, Kyle, Comcast Sportsnet is starting a regional. This was in San Francisco and they kind of want you for that. And I said, all right, let's go. Let's do it. Well, I didn't wind up getting that. And they said, actually, we're going to start one in Boston and we think you'd be a good fit there. And that's how it happened, man. You know, and uh, here we are almost 11 years later. And uh this is home, you know, but like I said, I never thought about living in Boston until this opportunity. Came so up. you grew up, I'm assuming a Sixers fan. Yeah. And Lakers. No, Lakers was my squad back in the okay. day. I was well, a Magic Johnson guy. Big I was going to say, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, you see Max Letterman being from Philly and then having to go for the Celtics, but he also says openly on Twitter and everything. He's like, I'm also a Sixers fan, but I work for the Celtics. So I root for them both. I was going to wonder if you guys talk Sixers growing up or like, like back in yeah. those days and everything, yeah, just like yeah. kind of feeding him back. But he's he's a young guy. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. It's like he thinks the Sixers started with Allen Iverson. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, there was basketball in Philly before 2000. You know, I have to remind him uh, that. But yeah, we talk. It's crazy because I could think of 
five people who are from Philly that work at NBC Sports Boston. And so there's a lot of us uh, actually there. Uh, there's a guy named Mark. He's, uh, you know, from Philly also. And he works with us, you know, behind the scenes on some Celtic stuff. And so, you know, it, it, it's crazy that, you know, we have all these Philly people up here. But yeah, man, it's, uh, it, it, was, uh, it was an adjustment, you know. But like I tell everybody, like when you're in this business, especially when you move around a lot, you know, it's like you become fans of players and great games and things like that. I tell everybody, I, I want every game to be epic. I want every game to go down to the final shot. You know, I personally, I hate blowouts, you know, because it's yeah, like, all right. Yeah, it's not, yeah. it's not exciting. So, yeah. you know, I want every game to come down to the last shot. Mm. Yeah. So I wanted to go back to the, the playoff format again. Um, this is, it's interesting because, you know, allowing, um, you know, 22 teams in opens the door for a lot of the guys, especially in the West, right outside the eight seed, because that, that, you know, conference was close all season. And there's been a lot of talk about guys like, you know, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, John Wall was one I saw mentioned about maybe making a possible return. Is there a team that you see, you know, whether it may be lack, you know, from injuries or just from you know, just sporadic play throughout the season that can turn it on. And if they get into the playoffs, they should be a team that, you know, you should watch out for. You know, I, I said it before and I'll say it again, Indiana, man, they scare mm. me. They, they have a really good team. Yeah. I mean, the only thing they've been missing is sort of a superstar, right? Yeah. And Victor Oladipo was that dude before he got hurt. Yeah. If he comes back close to what he was pre-injury, they scare me. I love Malcolm Brogdon. I love their big guys. You know, they made some great off-season moves, uh, you know. And so, I, you know, I just think Indiana is going to be a tough out. Think about it. They might be a five or a six seed. So if you're the Celtics, you don't want to drop down to four. You know, you yeah. don't, to me, you know, no matter what, it's going to be tough because it's going to be probably Miami, uh, Indiana, if you're talking about four or five or Philly. Uh, those are tough matchups. And so I don't think any team – you know, wants to see those squads. You know, I don't think Kyrie or Durant are coming back for Brooklyn. You know, John Wall, I don't, I don't think he's coming back either. And so, you know, I, to me, Indiana is the team uh, I would be afraid of, you know, the, the dark horse team that I think could make some noise in the playoffs. Yeah, it's interesting because it seems like every year, at least last year, even when we played them in the first round, um, you know, it felt like Indiana was under people were just undermining them. It was like, oh, well, we're going to get past them and we'll focus on, you know, the Bucks and the Sixers. Mm -hmm. But it seems like every year, you know, that they have a squad there that just it, they just play basketball well. It's not necessarily that they have a top 10 guy, but they just have a group that works well together. Yeah, exactly. I I feel like, you know, they always play as tough in a regular season, especially. There's been some memorable games uh between mm -hmm. the two teams uh, over the last couple of years, but you know, they, you can never count them out. They're a smart team most of the time. You know, and I, like I said, with Malcolm Brogdon, and, you know, Victor Oladipo, those two guys in the backcourt, you can make an argument that's, you know, that's a top two or three backcourt in the Eastern Conference when healthy. And so, and Sabonis has come along huge this season. And so, you know, and they have depth too. So keep an eye on Indiana, Miami too. I think Miami, you know, everybody talks about, you know, it's going to take some time for teams to get back into shape and things like that. But with Miami and the culture they have, they're in a state that has relaxed restrictions. You could best believe they're going hard right now. And so mm -hmm. I don't think it'll take the Miami Heat a long time to get going. So watch out for them too. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to 
draw a comparison, actually. I thought it was funny when you were like, you know, Boston wasn't on my radar because it reminded me of, you know, Kevin Garnett back in 2008. He, like, didn't want to go to Boston. All these <laughs> – a lot of a lot of these players don't want to come to Boston for you know whatever reason. Once they get here, you know, much like yourself, you know, you fall in love with it and you, you spend a lot of time here or something. I just thought that was you know something cool that. Yeah, you know, think about it though, right? I mean, look at the Red Sox guys like Carl Crawford and Adrian Gonzalez. I mean, if you come here, do what you're supposed to do, do what you're being paid to do, have some success. The fans love you. You know, we're about to have Kevin Garnett's rafter jersey up in the uh, rafters and he played here what six seasons I mean and and, you know I I just think guys you know maybe don't want the spotlight you know maybe the pressure that kind of thing but if you're a competitor you know it's no better place to be you know all the teams win they're always in the playoffs you know they push each other the fan base is rabid obviously you got to tune out sports talk radio and stuff like that I'm sure that (laughs) Mm -hmm. stuff will drive you crazy But, you know, I, I don't think there's any better place to be playing. Uh, and then kind of, kind of just wrap it up. We do, with every guest on our show, kind of like a rapid-fire question at the end. Uh, so we got five for you real quick. First one is, uh, which Celtics player gives you the best audio clips, video clips, that are just who's, who's your favorite person to interview or something like that? Uh, give me Marcus Smart. That's what know? I was thinking. <laughs> Cobra, you know, that dude is amazing, you know. And the thing I like about Marcus, he never says no. You know, that's what I like. You know, so from a journalist standpoint, if I need something, I know I can go to Marcus and he'll take care of it. You know, he'll he'll talk to us. And so and, you know, the thing also, you know how he's feeling, right? He wears his emotions on his sleeve. Mm-hmm. So, you know, after a win, after a loss, you know, when you talk to him, you're going to get the real answer. And I appreciate that. Favorite away arena that you ever traveled to? <laughs> oh, man, <laughs> this is a good one, man, because people uh People are going to clown me for saying this. I'm going to say Staples Center. Okay. Mm. That's because when you're there, it's like a theater. Mm-hmm. There's so many celebrities in the audience. And so, you know, people say, well, they're more focused on looking at celebrities than actually watching a game. No, you know, I don't want to curse, but yeah. no, you know, <laughs> like, of course. I remember when Jay-Z and Beyonce were at the garden a few years ago, you could hear everybody chirping about, I mean, that's just what people do. And mm. so, you know, every time I go there, it's like an event. There's still one stadium I have not been to. Believe it or not, I haven't been to Cleveland for a game. The you know, Q- all those battles yeah. between LeBron and, and the Celtics, I still haven't been to Cleveland. I've been to all the other arenas and all the other cities. Uh, but, you know, I'd say Lakers. And when LeBron was in Miami, Mm-hmm. those oh, were some yeah. battles man that was a great you know because there was true hatred from yeah. the fans you know you could just feel the tension in the air and yeah. that's what I think you know is is great about the NBA man you know especially when you have a rival like LeBron so anywhere LeBron's playing you know that tension mm-hmm. is going to be in the air <laughs> absolutely yeah. uh favorite play slash game you ever called like what really sticks out in your mind that I guess like a play you'll never forget you had a call for it was uh I would probably say Gordon Hayward's game winner in Sacramento. Okay, the runner. Uh, last, yeah, the, the yeah. runner. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because that was a great game. You know, I'm actually a Sacramento Kings fan. I like some of their young players, Fox and Buddy Hill. And, you know, Gordon Hayward had struggled, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, coming back from the injury and everything. There was no Kyrie that game, if I remember. But it was a close game throughout. And, uh, yeah, you know, from a, from a calling standpoint – 
that was, you know, probably my favorite moment. And then also I got to go back to uh, any of the Isaiah Thomas, you know, oh, yeah. at that Friday yeah. night against Miami where he dropped 29 in the fourth quarter or the game against the Wizards, the playoff game, you know, when he dropped 53, I think it was. And so, I mean, there's been some great moments, even, you know, Pierce and KG, you know, going against, uh, you know, uh, LeBron and going against Kobe. I mean, just, I'm a big rivalry guy. You know what yeah. I mean? When you have a villain on the other side, you know, I just love that. Yeah. Storylines. Uh, and then last two, what is your favorite part about your job? Favorite part about my job. It never feels like work guys. You know, <laughs> it's, it's crazy because you know what I'm doing, I would be doing anyway. Like yeah. I love basketball. I love the NBA. And to think that somebody's actually going to pay you to talk about something you love, you know, so that, that's probably my favorite part, man. And, and obviously being at the games, you know, mm-hmm. and like I said earlier, you know, I want every game to be close. And when that garden is rocking and you're, you know, in the fourth quarter and the fans are going crazy. I mean, for a guy who grew up loving basketball in the NBA, it doesn't get any better. And last one, what I guess is your advice um, for, for, younger people getting into the media career, uh, into the sports journalism career. You, you had the Draper agency, you have mm-hmm. this experience that we talked about in today's episode. Um, I guess advice, not necessarily in Boston, but around the country because Boston right. is a very competitive yeah. field to get really an in because everyone cares so much about the sports world. Uh, so what, what's your just, I guess, biggest key uh, advice tips? Start early. You know, I, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to especially in Boston here, who want to get into the business, but they don't want to leave Boston. So they sit around waiting for their perfect opportunity to come up in Boston. So they'll be on waiting for a year or two when they could have actually been somewhere else actually doing the job and making themselves more marketable and more attractive to a Boston. And so, you know, I I suggest to people get in early, never say no, don't turn down an assignment and just keep working. You know, I always tell people like of the people I graduated with that were in my class that wanted to do sports broadcasting or broadcasting, let's say there were a hundred of them. I don't know, a couple hundred. I'm the only one still doing it, I think, you know, and I feel like this business is a business of perseverance. You know, if you stick with it, there will be some hard days. You got to work weekends and holidays and nights. It sucks. You don't make money early in your career, but if you stick with it, eventually you'll get to where you want to go. I wholeheartedly agree with that. I, that's what I've been doing the past yeah. five something years, knowing it'll right. eventually pay off or whatever. But exactly. Uh, but thank you very much for hopping on uh, today's episode. If you want to plug anything one more time, and then uh, we can let you go. No, I'm gonna plug the Draper Agency. Obviously, the DraperAgency.com, and also check out our new Celtics Talk podcast. We talk to Keon Dueling, and we got a new show. I don't know if you guys saw the show that Scal and I are doing now. It's called Celtics at home. Mm-hmm. And this week we talk about, you know, the NBA coming back. What does it mean for the Celtics? Obviously we talk about, you know, some of the other things going on in the world. So check that out. That's on our YouTube channel and on uh, NBCSportsBoston.com. All right. Thank you again. Uh, and we appreciate you coming on. It was uh, actually a very educational, very uh, helpful talk. So thank you very much for hopping on. And uh, we right, wish you the best of luck the rest of the season and eventually, hopefully, next season's in Boston. Right. So we'll, All right, we'll, guys. We'll hope to see you in the city. All right, guys. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you again to Kyle Draper for coming on the show. Uh, pretty solid interview. Shout out to Pat Sinier and Jordan. What's uh, Haddock, right? 
It's Pat Senior, Jordan Haddock, two of our writers. Senior, yeah, okay. Honestly, I just know their first names. Uh, and I messed up Pat's last name on one of the Ride the Wave game shows, which is coming back now that all of this is kind of not dying down in the world, but there's a time and a place to post a game show. The game shows are coming back. Semifinals and finals are coming up. I mean, that's what Oliver Tree said about his new album. It's like, it's not the time to drop it yet. I got to drop it in July. Yeah, everybody's been pushing stuff back. Uh, who are we to go against that? Anyways, Jameis Winston says he is one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. However, I, I, I kind of agree with him. He made history. Simple as that. And he was blind. He was a blind quarterback who made NFL history. Can't yeah. take that away from him. The number one thing that shocked me today that came out, he had a broken thumb for three games, three NFL games, and threw 11 touchdowns in that span. I remember when Jacoby Brissett hurt his thumb a few years ago when Brady was suspended. He played the Texans, and he played the Bills. He threw maybe 10 passes combined over those two games. He, I'm, pretty, I'm willing to bet that Winston threw more touchdown passes than Brissett had attempts. Uh, in that span. That's an unbelievable like achievement. You're blind, you have nine fingers, one on your throwing hand gone, and you're still throwing that many touchdowns. That's unbelievable. And that many picks. Awesome. He <laughs> evens true. out, dude. Yeah, I think I think just Jameis doesn't get the respect he deserves, and he's just trying to keep building the urban legend around him. Like, I was blind last year. I had a broken thumb last year, but look what I still did with my team. And I think it's a little disrespectful. He's the third-string quarterback somewhere, but he, he at least accepted that, and he's just going to still kind of build that around himself. And, and Stafford, I mean, it really looks like Jameis Winston is the future of the New Orleans Saints, especially after what was going on with Drew Brees as a Bootstraps Brees. Yeah, I, <laughs> Um, but Jameis Winston, I mean, I, he's, he's got something. Just keep adding to it. I, I'm just wondering what else is going to say next. We got to bring this up again, too, because the folk legend around Jameis Winston is rising at an exponential rate. Let's take it back a couple weeks to Boston's big three when me and you were on giving our hot takes for the New Orleans Saints. And you were on record as saying Jameis Winston will be an NFL champion, a Super Bowl champion for the New Orleans Saints within the next five years. Are you still sticking with that prediction? Yeah, hundred percent. And then when we posted about it, everyone's like, "How's he gonna be a? How's he gonna be a champion? He's third string quarterback." Like it's like, well, first they of all, give, Breeze, they give rings to the equipment managers. <laughs> Technically, they're champions. But it's like, I mean, Breeze is going to retire within the next year or two, and Taysom Hill is not going to be their long term solution. This is last we pretty year much, of the Saints. We, we pretty much said Taysom Hill is going to be a trade piece going forward. Jameis Winston seems like he's gonna be set in New Orleans. Give him the, some time and let him build. As a third stringer, let him build the rapport with that team. Let him learn that playbook. Like, let him get in with those guys and understand everything. Former Penn State QB slash wide receiver athlete position, which transferred to Mississippi State. Tommy Stevens is on the the Saints roster. He, he has some quarterback skills. And is Tommy Stevens the future? Uh, no, Tommy Stevens kind of stinks. But, <laughs> no, I, I mean, if we want to just call a spade a spade, Tommy Stevens is probably not the best football player on that roster. Uh, no, but I, I've always said I like Jameis. Uh, I wanted, I kind of wanted the pass just to go after him just because, like, this year is going to be different either way. Might as well just make it, like, funny. Uh, I remember at the combine, I, I, okay. we were talking about that and whether or not Winston would be a Patriot. I think you put a post up about that. And yeah. Mariota was also thrown around there, too. It's interesting to see a 2015 draft coming back to the Patriots for quarterbacks. I just, I just looked like Jameis Winston would have been the solid backup to have. I would have liked to see – a Winston Stidham and Brian Hoyer, like Brian Hoyer, clear third stringer, but he's the mentor for both those guys and understands the Patriots system, but at least it keeps Stidham on his toes. Like it's, it still felt like it was going to be Stidham's job. And Jameis is still a solid backup that, Hey, maybe after a year, 
you see what you had with Stidham. We're shipping Jameis away somewhere. He's worth a trade piece because he's going to be a starter somebody else, somewhere else. You know, I, have a, I have a take. Zero uh, percent of me is excited about Stidham. Like, there's nothing really getting me going. I just don't know anything about the guy. I wanted, like, a Cam Newton. I wanted a Teddy Bridgewater. I wanted Jameis Winston. I just wanted something to get – like we said, th- this year is going to be different. And Stidham just has – nothing going like like he obviously has something going he's gonna be replacing tom brady but he, he doesn't doesn't get anything exciting he doesn't do anything in the media he doesn't really just have any sound clips which is what belichick wants i know the patriot way all this stuff but you you gotta have some anticipation for a guy and the only thing we've really seen from him is a pick six in uh, like one game you're explaining I, I, you're explaining tom brady circa 2000 2001 yeah, yeah. I, I mean i mean if he turns to tom brady go nuts but i i feel as if like like with all right, like going back to Ryan Mallett, even. He was drafted to be Brady's follow-up guy. And then Jimmy Garoppolo, he's drafted to be Brady's follow-up guy. And then we kind of just – I feel as if we just kind of be like, oh, Stidham right place, right time. It wasn't like, oh, Stidham is the future. Stidham, let's build Stidham. He's just kind of like, oh, Brady's gone. We have to fit this guy. In. Well, it's important to keep in mind as well, uh, before he transferred, uh, he wasn't really looked at as a really elite NFL quarterback. Then he transfers, plays unbelievable, and actually enters the draft a year later than he was supposed to. Um, if Stidham was actually in the class that we had just now, he would have been a first-round draft pick. I'm telling yeah. you right now, that's the talent level. People understand the, the transition it was, was from this draft uh, and last draft. There was a clear talent difference where Stidham was a fourth-round quarterback in that draft. He would have made a late first-round pick in this draft, I'm telling you right now. Um, and so I think people need to start watching his tape more uh, at college and kind of disregard that early season action we saw against the Jets. He had, what, four pass attempts and one was a pick six? Yeah, yeah. I mean, no I'm fight. not going to knock like, him for like, throwing who cares? pick six. Exactly. Pick, yeah. I the Jets, too. We were That's just the only him. thing I remember from the guy, which is, like, not the right. best thing to have. You, you and know. Another thing to look forward to as well, Stidham's working with all of our receivers the entire mm-hmm. offseason. Edelman's been at his house every single day. That's a good thing, guys. There's a rapport building. He already has one rapport with Jacoby Myers and uh, Nikhil Harry. And now you have Edelman getting into the mix. Like, guys, we're not helpless. This is going to be a not – this is not a lost season. Edelman's yeah, probably posting all these Snapchats and everything, like having wicked fun time with my best friend and just, like, hoping Tom Brady sees him and gets wicked jealous. He's like, oh, I don't need you, Tom. And, I, and deep down, he just has a lamp over his head at night just sobbing. That's the thing that I don't think a lot of people – in Patriots nation wants to accept I mean I think they just want they still haven't accepted Brady's left and they just think that nothing's ever going to be seen it's never going to be the same you're not going to have another quarterback on the New England Patriots that's going to win you six Super Bowls like that over 20 years but you have to look at hey can someone be just as good is there somebody that can be just as good that that can still lead a team to a Super Bowl and still get one and I think that not a lot of people are or a lot of people are overlooking the fact that he did have the extra time last year to spend with Jacoby Myers the extra time that he spent with Nikhil Harry working with him one-on-one there's been multiple times over and over again that he's worked with these receivers last year he's comfortably had that for one solid year and again I'm still upset they didn't have Brian Hoyer last year to mentor him as I said in one of my recent articles that uh Tom Brady was never going to like train the next guy to take his place. Like Tom Brady was never going to be the mentor to the next quarterback because he's still competing. Cause he still is going to be at the top of his game. So um, I wish they had Brian Hoyer and I, and I felt, I still feel that Brady got rid of Brian Hoyer last year because he knew it was going to be his last year. And he didn't want Stidham to have an advantage over him when he leaves. He, he probably wants Stidham to fail. 
gonna I mean, ask I, him I, about I it. I couldn't agree more. I mean, Brady's never been a jealous boy like John Lennon the past like 20 years talking about his back as Matt Castle. Didn't like Matt Castle, especially after 2008. That's why they shipped him out. Obviously, it was value there because he filled in for Tom Brady and went 11 and 5, but even still, hated Jimmy Garoppolo, still hates Jared Stidham. I mean, he actually didn't mind Jacoby Brissett because he didn't even dress for the Super Bowl. Uh, but even still, like, he does not like thinking about the reality that he's getting older. He does not recognize the reality he's getting older. He does not want to think about the next guy. And, and the Jimmy Garoppolo thing, it was out there that he wasn't even allowed to use the TB12 uh, facilities. Like they told him like, and there was a whole joke that he's like outside looking in and he didn't want him working with Alex Guerrero, even though multiple people were working with Alex Guerrero. So when you see all of these things that have happened with the New England Patriots over the last four years, um, and the, it, it's a mess, bro. And it seems like Belichick really didn't have control. That's another thing that you should be excited for, Tyler. Let me tell you this to you. Belichick has full control of that team again. Mm -hmm. He does. It's not Brady's saga anymore. There's no Rob Gronkowski saga anymore. Edelman's your, your veteran guy for a receiver that has, like, you know, the name brand. But Edelman, is, he's, a, he's a grinder. Like he's going to listen to what's going on. And you still have a McCourty. You still have some of these older guys that have been with Belichick that are going to listen to Belichick. Belichick has full control of this team this well, year. That brings me to my next – that brings me to my next question. We played the – for the past, what, five, six years – played the how long is Brady staying game time to transition to how many more years do you think Belichick has with the team how many more years do you think Robert Kraft has with the team before he gives it to John Kraft I'm assuming but how, how many more years I guess until the the Patriots dynasty we grew up with is no longer uh, for me, I think Jonathan Kraft does most of the work for the team anyway already. Kraft oh, is not as name on people it. really think. It's just more of a namesake at this point as a respect thing. Kraft already runs most of the operations. I'm not really, I won't be shocked when Robert Kraft officially steps down. He'll still be involved with the team just for uh, branding purposes and stuff like that, but not too much longer, I don't think. And with Belichick, he'll be a coach for another 8 to 10 years, and he'll be an executive for another 20 years. This guy loves football. He breathes football. He eats football. He's not stepping away anytime soon. Yeah. He stays with the pages the whole time? Yes. Yeah. I also got to go with that. Jonathan Kraft runs that team right now. I mean, Robert Kraft's more of the face. Like he's still the owner, but he's just a face where Jonathan Kraft is doing Signs the data. And checks and everything. Yeah. Jonathan Kraft, Robert Kraft is doing that till the day he dies or the day that he can't move anymore. It just, he, his brain's mush and it could happen at any time. And Belichick's still chasing Don Shula and he's, and he's chasing that. That's why they're not tanking. They're still going to at least have nine, 10 wins this year. Like I said, they're going to go 12 and four, but I, he's still going to put that effort into it. Belichick's staying around for another five years. It's actually interesting to see what Josh McDaniels does. Is McDaniels going to wait that long to take over as head coach? And this is another thing, too. If Stidham suffers this year, is that McDaniels? Is it McDaniels the one that's making Stidham suffer because of the offensive uh, schemes that he's running out there? I think there's a lot of pressure on McDaniels this year and being in the hot seat. Or it shows that, hey, him and Brady really were, you know, button heads. And Josh McDaniels has a great – he's a great offensive coordinator. And they're probably guaranteeing him the head coaching job five, six years. Like, hey, you're still getting paid top money here. You're still going to be winning, you know, winning games as, a, as an offensive coordinator. You're still going to be racking in playoff wins. You know, stay here. But – once Belichick passes Don Shula, that's it. He's done. He that's retires. Yeah. Speaking of McDaniels, though, how happy is Indianapolis after signing Frank Wright after uh, McDaniels backed out of the deal? I mean, that was probably the best move they've ever made. I agree. I mean, I, don't, I, I can't see anywhere where McDaniels, I guess, gets a head coaching job with the New England Patriots before they make like a decision about Belichick. Like He's always going to just be the guy on the back burner. I think he's going to get to the point he gets sick of it. Um, do I think he regrets not going to Indianapolis? No, obviously, because I think a head coaching job will come later in his career, and he's building around the greatest dynasty in sports these past 20 years. But 
I don't know. I, I don't see how, how many years that McDaniels has left as an OC. Um, we see like Gerard Mayo, even Steve Belichick kind of getting some work in at DC. I don't know who's going to be the, the next guy for offensive coordinator. If there is a next guy, this is, there's a lot of questions in the, the New England Patriots organizations that we're, we're going to see get answered and played out in the next several years that it's going to just be a new era. Simple as that. Like you can only do 20 something years, 25 years, 30 years, however long this lasts for so long before you have to move on. Stidham, Stidham is the end of the dynasty in a way. Like if they can build another dynasty with Stidham, and Stidham might not even be the guy that stays here for 20 years. I don't see any other quarterback staying that long. Stidham could just be here for seven or eight years for all we know and just run with Belichick. The second Belichick's done, that's when you know, okay, now we're in officially in the new era. As long as you have Belichick here, they're going to stay competing. And he's still trying to fight for the greatest coach of all time. Uh, if some people don't believe that he's earned that he yet. already he's, is, but some yeah. people still don't see that yet. It's the Don yeah. Shula thing too, I think. Yeah. And I think that if he can in a lot of, um, a lot of pride and proof that he can do it without Tom Brady, he has to still show that. And I think he will. And if he can win one Super Bowl in the next three years, four years, he's set like, that's it. Just get your wins and then move on. Like you don't have to prove anything else, but I heard somebody give me a good tidbit once on, Instagram like they messaged me saying that he has those connections with uh, Navy Army like um, that it wouldn't be shocking if he leaves the New England Patriots to go coach there for a season or two just something that, that you know wild. for his dad like something that his dad coached at so uh, that'd be like you know a little tidbit to his and a little cap off to his dad to end out his football career uh, I have a next question you see Dalvin Cook uh, says some stuff about holding out until he sees a reasonable deal what do you think a reasonable deal is for a running back in today's football? Because wide receivers win your game, running backs, you don't see a dominant running back really. Like, for example, you see, you see Todd Gurley on that Rams team that played the Super Bowl. One of the best years of his career, if not the best year of his career. And just, just a solid year for any player, like especially a running back. Terrible second year. He's on pace for a bounce back year with the Falcons this year or something. But, like, I don't know how much money you allocate to a running back when the league's evolving just to a straight-up passing league running back. Honestly, I think the league's evolving just to a, a passing league, and then the quarterback just runs for it. You see the Mahomes, you see Lamar Jackson, you see Deshaun Watson, you see Russell Wilson. You see all these other guys being mobile quarterbacks. I think mobile quarterbacks is, I guess, not the new thing, but it, it's becoming more of a, a bigger necessity for your team. I think the game kind of goes in cycles with this kind of stuff. I mean, obviously at the beginning of the game, you saw a lot of running. Then you went to a little bit of passing. Then went to actual dominant running offense. Then we start seeing the West Coast offense evolve out of that, off some play action stuff. And obviously we're in the shotgun mobile type quarterback offense we're in now with RPOs and stuff like that. So gouging a running back market is probably the hardest thing any NFL team has to do because it's making a decision of a serious investment saying, hey, we want you to be the focal point of our offense, even though your position actually gets injured a lot more than any other position does in football. The average shelf life for an NFL running back is three years. Do you feel comfortable paying an, a player $17 million a year when it comes to that? I wouldn't. And so when you have McCaffrey reset the market, you have to understand what McCaffrey is. He's not a running back. He's a football player. He had a 1,000-thousand-yard season last year, third time in NFL history to ever do it. That's insanity, guys. That's unbelievable value from every position on the field. So when you have a guy like Dalvin Cook, who's, yes, very talented, almost a top five running back, but who's injury prone, who doesn't really provide as much as McCaffrey does anywhere close to, I should say, in the receiving game. If I'm the Vikings, I'm already paying Kirk Cousins an ungodly amount of money. 
I'm not giving Dalvin Cook anywhere near what McCaffrey. Yeah, you got. saw that with Melvin Gordon too last year, and then uh, what's the guy? Um, blanking on his name, the Chargers running back, wicked good, Austin uh, Eckler. Eckler, Austin Eckler. Yeah, you see him just like they're interchangeable. The fact that maybe they're not the exact same talent level, maybe they're not the exact same skill and everything, but they can give you the similar production in in a position that you don't really need. Uh, well, you obviously need a running back, but the position you don't need a premier person. For example, you see guys like Shane Vereen. You see guys like James White. You see guys like Rex Burkett. You see like all these small name running backs in the Patriots that they make fit their system. Uh, you see Vereen and James White specifically becoming premier receiving backs, not only just running backs. Like you, I don't think you see James White get more than 10 carries a game ever, but you see him get like a lot of receptions a game. Uh, because I think the – like I just said, the mobile quarterback, the receiving running back, because they're just passing and just keeping it and tucking it away, I think. Uh, minus the quarterback, though, speaking of, like, who you should pay on your roster, what do you think? You, you pay your quarterback, that's that's what you need. Who's your second person on that, the second position on your roster that you, you're allocated money towards? Oh, uh, I'll go. Left tackle, that's 100%. You need to, you, the number one player on your team besides a quarterback is not a middle linebacker. It's not a cornerback. It's not a safety. It's your left tackle because you can't play quarterback when you're on your ass. The number one mistake by a ton of teams in this league, especially the reason why Andrew Luck's retired right now, is because he was beat up consistently over his career. It's the reason why a lot of guys don't take off. It's the reason why RG3 never took off. His offensive line was always terrible, forced outside the pocket, get injured. Kyler Murray, awful offensive line. Would not be surprised if he gets injured this year because he can't keep escaping the, these unbelievably athletic pass rushers guys like cam newton who got hurt just a couple years ago and his career's off the rails now you need a solid offensive line no matter what kind of quarterback you have to make sure you protect your number one investment i think it just comes down to coaching too for the offensive line yeah you got to protect your biggest asset which is your quarterback and uh there's so many certain guys out there like Big Ben Roethlisberger who can take so many sacks in his career, still able to get back up and able to throw it down there. He's one of a kind and he deserves a, some credit for that, but other guys can't be able to do that. And sometimes uh, you said that you might pay these guys. Sometimes they get overpaid too on offensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, they get their name somewhere else. So they go get paid somewhere else. Like Trent Brown, like, for, like look for him, for instance, like right. it was, it was, he had a role for the new England Patriots, but he got paid out in like Las Vegas, Oakland. And, uh, I mean, is it really truly worth all that money? It comes down to coaching. It comes down to making sure these guys uh, can develop and you get the best out of them before they make that big payday. Because even if you're someone that gets the big payday, like you might not be the same, not worth it. Yeah, 100%. Uh, And when it comes down to guys getting hit, it can ruin careers. A guy like David Carr, who Derek Carr's probably, if you guys don't know, drafted number one overall by the Houston Texans, their first ever draft pick, I'm I'm assuming. Um, And he was sacked close to 80 times his rookie year. Like, you can't play quarterback if you're getting sacked that much. It's almost four sacks a game. That's, that's, you, you can't play quarterback like that. You can't be fearing your life every time you snap the ball. I have a genuine question. We, t- we kind of hinted at it earlier with Breeze. What do you see week one happening? Like, I think fans are just going to let him have it. But you, do you see his linemen kind of doing like a shady move, like miss a block? There's all these conspiracies going on. I think, like, by the time I, – I, like, the fact that he's kind of flip-flopping – teammates got in his ear like whatever dude like i would prefer you just stick to a side but do you, do you think anything extraordinary happens kind of just like oops i missed this block an accident or something like that no I, I don't see that at all i think that you know when it comes down to it they're they're gonna put the differences aside and they're gonna play they're playing for money they're playing for incentives don't don't forget that mm-hmm. they're playing for bonuses so 
Um, I think that once they start getting comfortable and in a rhythm during the season, they can trust each other. They'll be all firing on all cylinders, but you know, those first couple games are, you know, tricky. If they, if they can't pull it together, then they're just like, fuck breeze. I don't care about this team anymore. Um, yeah. I don't. I don't think Sean Payton's going to lose that locker room. Can we talk about Drew Brees for a second? Because I think he got a lot of online hate, and the reasoning behind it, I think, was misconstrued a lot. Um, when Drew Brees made these comments, was he trying to be actively racist? Absolutely not. People have been saying that online. Drew Brees is a nice guy. Like we all know this. He does a lot of charity work. He was not trying to be overtly offensive when he made these comments. I think that should be said for for everybody commenting about that. And number two, Tony Dungy summed it up in the perfect way, I think, and this is how I stand on the whole issue right now. Drew Brees can't be afraid to say that. And then we also can't be afraid to say, Drew, I disagree with you, but can we talk about it? Open a dialogue. Don't cancel Drew Brees. Don't go after him on Instagram, go after his family, get death threats to his wife and his kids, which was horrible I heard about. A dialogue is most important in times of turbulence. You need to have an open dialogue and not attack somebody just because they don't understand what you're protesting against or what you're actually saying with your message. It, uh, it seemed pretty forced that he had to apologize for everything. And dude, you're just making yourself, you know, you're making yourself look more stupid in that situation. Uh, cause it looks like all PR. If you're going to say something, stay with it. If you commit to something, you commit to it. Simple put. Um, I'm trying to pull up a tweet right now that I saw today that just kind of, again, I'm not trying to, again, I'm not trying to shit on anybody. Like I'm not trying to poke things around, but this is just people being forced to say something. And Gunnar Oshevsky, like he said this today, um, uh, tweeted black lives obviously matter. I was encouraged by teammates of mine to voice my opinion on the matter because kept hearing silence is a clear divider. I encourage people to do the same, especially all my fellow country boys. Our brothers need us to know that we got their backs now to me yeah that's good like he's speaking about the matter but you know gunner stayed silent like he didn't want to talk about either side he just probably didn't want to talk about it and it's like you're being forced into hey you have to side with us or you side with them there's no other between and i, I don't think that's right to have in society that people are forced especially i know we haven't really talked and i wasn't on the last episode whatever but um say for the blackout tuesday I, you know, I truly understand what everyone's trying to do um, and don't post and we're all in solidarity together, but you don't have to be, you can be opinionated out there. That's cool, but don't shove it down someone's throat saying you, you have to do this. You have to make it right. Like if someone goes out there and makes their political statement or their opinion on what's going on, that's their opinion. And like you said, we can have a civil debate about it going back and forth. Obviously, if someone's saying something stupid, racist and like, you know, sexist or whatever it is, it makes them right. look dumb. Then yeah, you're an idiot. Like you shouldn't be doing that. But if someone just has a strong opinion that goes a different way, but it's professionally written out or, or spoken, you know, I don't know. It just, yeah. And on top of that, it's like what you said about uh, short, like shoving stuff down people's throats. I'm with you a hundred percent. And on top of that, you can't shove it down their throat. And then when they don't disagree with you, label them a racist, label them a sexist when what they were saying was clearly not meant to be offensive. They just either misunderstood what you were saying or just have a different opinion than you do. It's okay to have a different opinion. Let's make that clear. It's okay to have a different opinion as long as you're not being overtly racist or sexist. That's, that's how, that's my opinion. That's my point. All right. Any final thoughts before we wrap this up? Uh, we're on day 83, I think. Cam Newton is not signed by an NFL team. I'm going to keep doing this every episode until he gets signed because it's an absolute travesty that Joe Flacco got signed before him and Andy Dalton. Uh, and stay safe, guys. What's the chances that he actually gets a workout soon now that facilities are starting to open up? 
So a couple weeks ago, uh, keeping up with the Cam Newton watch here, he said that he was now open to taking a backup job. And apparently the Patriots talked to him about a backup position very early in his free agency. And he said, hell no, I'm not going to be a, a backup quarterback to Jared Stidham. That's basically what the report came out. Um, but now apparently he's open to being a, a backup quarterback. And I guarantee you a guy like uh, a team like Arizona uh, with Kyler Murray at the helm, who needs a veteran presence kind of there that fits the offense if Murray does get injured, he might be going to the desert. I mean, I think it's a great fit. He, I think he'll have a fielder throwing at DeAndre Hopkins if Kyler Murray gets hurt. I'll tell you that. Uh, I mean, I got nothing to say. It's been a, been a while since I've been on here. The first time I've been out there speaking, I, I just moved moved the HQ. So the last week has been just setting everything up and we're still doing that. Still getting settled in. Ride the wave is, is going in a complete spiral, downward spiral, according to some people. And like I said, you just ride the wave and trust Babs at the top of the chain. Like, don't, don't doubt. And if you want to go against us, I literally don't care. If you want to throw some shade at us, expect to get clapped back when the time comes. So uh, it's what it is, man. Uh, I will say this. Uh, I do want to speak for what's been said politically, like on Ride the Wave, like just to make everyone understand what's going on. This guy, Lance, like is a legitimate person that reached out to me, that talked to me and said, you guys should be talking about these issues on both sides. If you look at all the Lance posts, they're very like opposite of each other. They go one side to the other side, one side, middle, one side, one side. And Tyler, we talked about this off the record. Like everyone's just so reactionary nowadays. Like everyone changes their mind so much. I think that we're just kind of exposing, especially our followers. Like it kind of sickens me to see like some of the people that follow us and their views. Like you just said, like Joe, like unless you're blatantly like, ra- like if you're racist or sexist, it's a huge no, no. Like, and that's what our following is. And it's just like disgusting to see like, people kind of exposing themselves. And I, I think that's what's coming out of that Lance character. Um, in terms of Spike King and stuff too, like I just want to tell people at home, like um, and I'm going to be completely open honest. Well, first off, I'm not Lance. I'm not shoving any political agendas down anybody's throat. On the Spike King account, I only posted one thing and it was about the Boston's big three. I thought that was awesome that Dito, Angel, Jay, Brendan were all on here with you, Tyler, and got to talk it out. That's what our platform's about. And I just want to say as like Babs, like I've never shied away of anyone just like voicing their opinion out there. Like we, we have a platform that you can fucking do it. Put your face, if you want to put your face on it or you want to say something, say it, like put it out there. Even if you get ragged on for it, that's okay. Caden knows about that guy gets ragged on for everything he does for the stupid opinions. But um, in terms of Spike King, and I just want to know people on my side of my account, I stayed away from a lot of stuff because you just got to realize like the job field I'm in, I don't want to be saying certain things in certain ways. Like I also want to just protect like a certain image that I have at work and like some shit's been going on there, like for certain people. And I just needed to stay away from stuff. So again, it's one of those things that we just wanted to track back to and saying, don't force your political views on someone. Like you have to make a decision because yo, like there's other stuff in my life that Hey, like I want to keep a job. Like if I go one way, it might hurt my, it might hurt myself. It might hurt like me or something like that. If I go the other way, it's going to hurt me like this and that. So I just want to be open and honest to like what's going on out there. That's yeah. why I've been kind of laying low uh, myself and not saying anything, not doing anything, not really being outspoken about, about what's going on. All right. My final thought, I'm just going to build off this. I don't know who Lance is. Nobody knows who Lance is here. I, I said this on the story the other day. Think whatever you want about the Lance guy. Doesn't look like he's going to go anywhere anytime soon. There are people who disagree. There are people who agree. People in Ride the Wave media who disagree and agree. However, 
I don't think any of this to distract you from the fact that Boston's Big Three is growing. We're getting you guys guests. We're getting content. We're getting better conversation. We're, we're, we're clicking. So if you disagree with anything Lance is saying uh, on our page, just know that's not coming from me. That's not coming from Brandon. That's not coming from Joe. Like, it's not coming from Spiking. This is this is this own guy's thing. It's he's voicing his opinions. He, he's doing his posts, his names on everything. Don't let this, whatever your opinions on our uh, on our page, impact your decision about let's let's boycott Boston's big three. Let's not listen to Boston's big three just because of that. I'm not saying that's happened. Not saying that will happen. I'm just want to state out there that I'm saying we're working way too hard at this uh, for the past year. I think we're 20 days away from our one year. And I, I don't well, want to see all that go down the drain. So I well, think we're, we'll be good. Well, Jay Lassard even said it best. We, we have short attention spans in our society. And he said, you know, if baseball started back tomorrow, people would not be protesting anymore. Like people would just be like, oh, I'm going to go watch the sports game. Like, oh, I just want to watch sports now. If like bars open up and shit. And that's just how society sadly is going to be. Like, you know, we're the, you know, they're making a difference. I'm not saying that the protesting is wrong. Don't twist anything there. I'm just saying that. Once sports comes back, like once like regular life starts coming back in the summer, people are going to forget about, you know, two or three months ago, they're, they're going to be focused on the present to be focused on the now. And uh, I mean, I think it was good that our page said something because there are other companies that had to be scrambling again, making PR statements that we have to pick a side. We have to choose what we do. And we went all over the place with it, whether you like it or not. Like I personally who run the page, who's going to oversee everything. I literally just don't give a fuck. Like I'm just saying, Hey, Voice what you want to voice out there. I wanted, I love that you had that last Boston's Big Three. That's the shit I want. I want you people out there to be vocal that work for Ride the Wave. And I want the people who are following us to be vocal as well because we're going to share that too. Or you're going to expose yourself as a freaking idiot as well too. And that's fine. We, we want that shit. All right. This has been Boston's Big Three, episode 61, presented by Ride the Wave Media, sponsored by Pete's Pop. Check them out, like I said at the beginning. Thank you, Kyle Draper, for hopping on the podcast. Uh, solid interview. And we will see you guys sometime later this week with myself, Brandon, and Jay, the Pats fan, sitting down with Billy Wise, senior photographer at the Boston Red Sox. A lot of cool stories that he, he experienced during his time at Fenway from starting out in 2012 with one of the worst Red Sox seasons of all time to living two World Series. Uh, good interview. A lot of cool stories, a lot, a lot of insight. That's coming out later this week. Thank you guys for listening. See you soon.